If you have an interest in adventure of any kind, today's Cedarville Stories podcast is just for you. Hi, I'm Mark Weinstein, and welcome back to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. And joining me today is Thomas Hamilton, who, along with two of his brothers, Trent and Tim, and their nephew, Ben Clark, have embarked on an adventurous boat ride just one day ago. And I say the phrase boat ride in air quotes, and you'll learn more about that later on the podcast. Thomas Hamilton graduated from Cedarville University in 2005 with a degree in biology. And as of this recording, he and his family are living in Florida. So let's get to my conversation with Thomas Hamilton. Thomas, uh, first of all, thank you for agreeing to share about your journey. Uh, It's an amazing journey, what, what I've learned. But before we get there, it appears that Cedarville University has had a profound impact in your life, in the life of your your brothers, how have you seen the Lord take a little school like Cedarville and work in the lives of you and your brothers? Growing up in Northwest Florida, we had no connection to Ohio, uh, none at all. So the idea of going to from you know the coast and the beaches where it's warm and even the winters aren't so cold to a cornfield was <laughs> probably not have been my first choice of uh, place to go. But my oldest brother, Troy Hamilton, uh, went up to Cedarville because the Lord put it on his life to go to a Christian university. And he had heard of the school and ended up going there. And as a result, I grew up around it. Troy's 11 years older than me. Uh, so I think he was a graduate of 95, if I'm not mistaken. And I grew up hearing about the school. I grew up meeting their friends. So when it came time to me, starting to look at a school, my thoughts were very much, well, these are the sort of people I want to surround myself with. It wasn't, obviously, we got a fantastic education. It's a great school for that. And I really enjoyed classroom with teachers who loved Jesus and wanted to make him known and wanted us to do the same. But for me, I think it was the other elements of Cedarville that drew me in and encourages me to want to recruit others, others' friends to to it as well. You know, going to a school where your roommates and you are likely to be in a Bible study of some sort together. That's just a kind of unique setting. Going to a school that has, you know, discipleship uh, as a part of it and encourages discipleship groups as actually a program within the campus that has, you know, the missions involvement and has so many opportunities for local ministry uh, that actually were a a larger impact that collective than, than my studies themselves were. So I can say at Cedarville, while yes, go there for academics, I certainly learned more out of the classroom than I did within the classroom. That was more formative for my life. And I hear that a lot from current students and alumni especially. So when you think back to your four years at Cedarville, was there a special highlight or memory that comes to your mind right now? Well, the cold winters were not the highlight. Every, every, uh, at the end of uh, Christmas break, every year going back in January, I have, man, I had a hard time getting in the car some days driving back from Florida. But highlights, I think, would uh, be some of the ministries involved with. So getting the chance to uh, participate with other students in something called open airs. I'm not sure if they still do that. Going out to do evangelism, street evangelism on, on Friday nights in Dayton, Cincinnati, or Columbus. I got to be a part of Opie which stayed a row epsilon the group and being encouraged and held accountable by those gentlemen and spending time uh, with each other for fun, for encouragement, but also in the word uh, uh, certainly were, were some of my highlights. You've, you've been out of school several years now. How is the Lord using you and your family right now? 
Well, we've been in Southeast Asia now for nine years. Um, when we fr- when I first left uh, Cedarville, I went to West Africa for about a year and a half, came back, um, and then worked with youth as a teacher in a Christian school for a few years, uh, became a youth pastor for a few years, and then now have been in Southeast Asia as a missionary. I mean, the, the fact is God's using our family in a mighty way, getting the gospel to places where it's not, among peoples where the, there is no church. Uh, in their language and among among their groups, and and really working to see the you know the church planted, um, starting though not with a bunch of believers, starting with a bunch of lost people of a variety of religions, yeah. sharing gospel with them, seeing them to come to faith, and and go from there. That's exciting to hear. And uh, as I said in the introduction, Thomas and two of his brothers, Trent and Tim, and their nephew Ben, will have embarked on a three thousand mile boat ride from the tip of Africa to Antigua in the Caribbean. What kind of boat are you going on from Africa to the Caribbean? Because it's not a normal boat, right? No, it's not. So we leave from the Canary Islands, so right off the coast of, of Morocco. They, we will be on a ocean rowing boat. So this is a boat designed with one thing in mind, and that's to row open oceans. Uh, so it's a minimalist boat in the sense of it's not high on creature comfort. It's about keeping you alive and getting you to your destination as quick as you can under 100% of your own power. So it's a boat that's really, these boats are incredibly well designed. It's a carbon fiber boat. Uh, We had it built for us. It is sleek. It is long, about 30 feet long, but it's very narrow. Just kind of imagine like a long canoe type thing. Um, Has two small cabins, one in the front, one in the back. that are just a little bit bigger than a coffin. Uh, You can... (laughs) You know that whoever's resting, you can crawl in there and and uh, you know and knock off for a few hours. But again, it's 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 very open to the elements. So if it's raining, you get wet. If it's windy, it's windy. If, if a big wave hits you, big waves hit you, and that's just how it will be for our entire crossing. First off, is this a race? First of all, and then how how have they set up protections in case something goes wrong? That's a good question. Yeah, so it is a race. We're part of Atlantic Campaign. Sometimes they call it World's Toughest Row. Yep. It is a race. There'll be about 40 boats, and then you you race based on category. To be clear, though, Mark, we, our goal is not to win. Some of these teams, they've trained uh, exceptionally more than us. You know, the four of us, we have – the reason why Trent's not joining us because he's on work – you know, he was on work trips, and we all just have so much uh, going on with family and so forth that we are not training as much as others have in that sense. But uh, we're not trying to win. That's the point. We're trying to cro- – for us, winning is crossing in a reasonable time. As far as precautions, you know, first of all, the boat itself, uh, ever since the Titanic, you're not supposed to say a boat is unsinkable. Uh, But truly, it has got multiple uh, watertight compartments. There's about 13 different watertight compartments, any one of which could keep the boat afloat. Uh, So the point would be is it would be incredibly challenging to sink one. If I'm not mistaken, the company that's making them, Rannick Adventures, they've never lost a boat. Uh, And they're about 15 years of making these boats, and they've crossed the oceans. Uh, many times. As far as safety, I mean, we are secured in. We wear climbing harnesses uh, and we're always attached to guidelines on the boat. Anytime we leave the cabins, the boat's our refuge, if you will. The boat is our lifeboat. Now, with that said, we do carry a lifeboat. On the lifeboat, we do carry, uh, you know, five days worth of provisions on it at least. So there is a backup. The idea is you you never really want to leave your boat because when you get in the lifeboat, it's worse than what you came off of. We carry redundancies when it comes to communication, satellite communication. We've got multiple redundancies when it comes to 
uh, everything else. So as part of the race, there are two, they don't call them safety yachts, but they are kind of safety sailboats in a sense. The problem is it's a large ocean. Yeah. So, you know, depending on the weather and so forth, they could be four or five days sail from you. Could be. So it's not as if there's someone right there. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, we've trained. We've all gone through a number of courses that have really worked hard on, on safety, security, and so forth. Um, and you know, we're bringing a lot of gear that we'll hopefully never touch, right. but it's there and you need it just to get us across. I'm curious, whose idea was this to get involved in this kind of race? Yes, that's a great one. So that was my brother, Tim. And he's, uh, he's in the yachting industry. He's on the water all the time. Uh, so someone had come to his company asking for sponsorship a few years ago for this race. And three years ago, he just he sent us the promo video to a text group with Trent, Troy, uh, Tim, and I. And he just said, all right, guys, let's do this. And that was about it. Trent immediately said, I'm in. And I showed it to my wife and I said, Trent's not in. And I didn't even respond. You know, I just thought, yeah, right. We're not going to really do this. This is three years ago. Thought there's no way we're going to do this. But you know, a couple of weeks went by, and Tim was like, "Hey, Thomas, Troy, why haven't you responded? Are you in or not?" And of course, that set off a, "Are you serious?" And as we started digging into it, uh, it took me almost a year to say yes. Um, but when we did say yes, that was about two years ago. We we went full bore when it comes to uh, planning and, and and training and everything. What was your hesitation? I had a few. My first was safety. I mean, that was my first concern. I, I said I had three concerns, safety, cost, and time away from my family. You know, the response was, well, for safety, go look into it. Uh, you, can't, you can't eliminate all risk doing anything. Right. But there's a lot of the training, a lot of the equipment we're required to bring mitigates that risk. It doesn't take it away, but it mitigates it. Um, cost, the response was, look, you're the missionary. Uh, you won't have to pay for anything. We'll find sponsors. Or the, the response Tim said, he'll cover it. If you can't find sponsors, he'll cover the cost, which is pretty significant. Time away from family, once again, can't, can't do away from it. But the response was, well, technically, you'll be with family the whole time. <laughs> just not your wife and kids. Right. Instead, you'll be with, with you know, your, your siblings. So how did your wife and kids respond to this, this idea? So my wife is an adventure lover. She is an incredible woman. She's very supportive. We have four girls, ages 11 to 5. Um, and so she, she's, she loves adventure. She loves to push herself physically. So she, in her mind, just put herself into my shoes and her response was, well, if the roles were reversed, I would want to do it. Uh, and so if she would want to do it, roles reversed, then she wanted me to do it. She didn't want me to lose out on an opportunity to, to, to go through this. So like I mentioned, it was uh, in January 21 when the idea was first brought out, so just under three years ago. And I didn't actually say yes until December of 21. But for my birthday in May, she bought two books of guys who have rowed oceans before and gave them to me. So I figured that was a good sign that <laughs> she, was, she was pretty supportive. How much time do you anticipate it taking from when you leave Morocco area to you reach Antigua? Yeah, I mean, I just throw the, the number six weeks around. I, we don't really know. Obviously, so much plays into weather, uh, really. A, a, a huge amount plays into weather. Uh, of course, other things could happen like sickness, seasickness, that's really more intense and so forth. But um, it could be a little shorter. It could be a little bit longer. So maybe anywhere between five and seven weeks, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, 
we really won't know until we're about halfway across and we'll start having a better idea of, okay, what's it going to look like the rest of the way? Obviously, this is not a cruise ship you're on. It's a, it's a really adventurous kind of long canoe, as you mentioned, but it's a spiritual journey as much as it is a physical journey for you. Is that a fair assessment? It is. Now, I, I will be honest, like the, th- that is certainly a part of it, spiritual journey. You know, there's other elements as well where we're hoping to, you know, we're, we're promoting and raising money for a, a, a Christian charity called Sin Relief. Okay. But the fact is, the initial thing was a brotherhood adventure. Uh, that was the number. That was the number one draw, if you will. That was what was originally pitched. But yes, as far as spiritual journey, as far as us learning to rely on the Lord more, to rely on each other more, to learn how to put others before ourselves—all basic things that as believers we should already do—but in a unique, challenging setting where a lot of our filters are stripped away when we are in the midst of a massive suffering and difficulty and so forth. And at that point, you've got to actually decide, am I going to rely on the Spirit and be loving in my interaction and serving my interaction with my brothers, or am I going to be self-focused? So it has a few purposes in that sense, yes. I assume that you guys get along pretty well. Yes. You know, that's one of the things, since I graduated, I let's put it, since Tim graduated high school, he was a year ahead of me, I've spent four months living in the same general location as him and four months living the same general location as my oldest brother, Troy. They are my best friends. So uh, the brothers, we're incredibly close. We turn to each other for all sorts of things, you know, in, in any sort of matter for prayer, any sort of crisis, they're the first people we call. My brothers are who I turn to, but we, because of how the God has led us to different places, we just, we've never been able to spend a whole lot of time together. Um, and, and unfortunately, there's times we go year, I'll go years without getting to see them, just being on the other side of the world and and so forth. And we live in four, you know, four different cities. Uh, the training aspect, I know you've, I think you trained in the Netherlands. Is that right? Yeah, we trained in Denmark. Denmark, yes. Denmark. Okay. So what, what's gone involved, what's been involved with your training? And uh, when you get in the boat and you're, and you're actually rowing, what, what do you think are your greatest challenges? Yeah. So for training, we've had different elements, right? So I would say there's three parts to our training. The first is just physical training. So personal training. So we each have a, a, a concept to rower, not not because we are sponsored by them, just because it's a good solid rower. My nephew rows up in his attic. Trent rows in his basement. Tim rows in his bedroom. I row in a storage closet, just wherever we can fit the rower in our houses. And we spend a lot of hours on those, a lot of hours. We spend time in the gym doing more row specific things. Some stretching, that's an area of weakness for me, but some stretching routines as well, just because you'll need that over time. So the physical element is one. The second was certain classwork we had to do for training. And that was, we, we spent uh, two, two summers ago, we, we met up in the UK, did some courses like, you know, row, ocean rowing, safety at sea, navigation, basic courses like that. Uh, I was just kind of getting a, a lay of the land. And some of it was, um, repeat, you know, some of it wasn't new for us because we've had some experiences on the water or met, I had some medical experience in the past and so forth. Uh, but it still gave us a refresher on those courses. And then the third element is as a team, so training together. And that that's simply what we did up in up in Denmark. You know, I was coming from Southeast Asia. Trent's coming from Ohio. Ben's coming from D.C. Tim's coming from South Florida. We had to meet somewhere. Our boat was in the U.K., but the tides and the 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 tides and the uh, wind there are so strong and unpredictable. You can end up not being able to go out for a few days at a time. So we 
trying to kind of decide, well, where can we go train? And someone suggested off of the waters off of Copenhagen, which is kind of fun. We got to row all around there, around that old city and, and yeah, just train together. So we spent about eight or nine days on our boat. Six of those would be about all day on our boat and we'd go sleep somewhere at night. And then we spent about three days straight on the boat, just kind of doing a trek up through the open ocean. So three days solid, like overnight. So you guys were actually sleeping on the boat. Oh yeah. Sleeping on the boat, rowing through the night, doing the whole mess. Mm -hmm. So I, I chuckled when I saw your promotional video. For our listeners, there was a promotional video. Trent added, what could possibly go wrong right when the video is showing a shark underneath a boat? So what are your major concerns for this journey? You know, it's interesting because it's not as if I don't have concerns about the physical. I'm sure there's going to be issues. I'm sure there's going to be uh, pains and so forth. But my biggest concern is 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 really how we treat each other as brothers, how we treat each other not just as humans, but as as brothers in not only physically, not only blood brothers. And and even though Ben, just to be clear, Ben is our nephew. He's you know he's 21, so he's you know half my age, half our ages. Um, we've told him he can treat us as brothers for this, this venture. My biggest concern is, is really allowing temptation to get the best of me and being upset with my brothers. Other concerns. Yeah. I mean, seasickness is common. Your first few days, uh, almost everyone has some issues with it. Hands, your first 10 days, your hands are pretty bad often until you get thick enough calluses. We have some gloves. You know, we didn't wear them at all in our training. You just get some blisters and it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be for your hands. Some reason, you know, when you're using a garden rake and you get a blister, one little blister, it feels so terrible. I don't know. Something about having your whole hands full of them. It just, you just didn't, it didn't notice them as much. Yeah. I know that's funny, but you just keep going with it. When do you think you're going to say, okay, we got this, we can do this and we're getting along well as well? Yeah, you know, that's going to be a good question. When we get there, I'll let you know. I'm not quite sure when that point will be. I think one of the things about it is once you push off from shore, uh, from the island we're leaving from, it's called La Gomera, the prevailing uh, current and wind pushes you away from the continent of Africa. It's almost like when you push off the dock, you're all in. Like the quickest way to get out of the situation is to finish, hit the other side. So I'm not quite sure when. I've heard the first week is rough. Uh, your body is getting used to uh, two-hour patterns. You're not sleeping, you know, long periods of time. You're getting used to the ocean. You're getting used to the elements. You're getting used to a lot of dehydrated foods and snacks. And it, you know, I've heard the first week or so is 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 a challenge, like like any longer adventure, um, until you until you just kind of settle in and say, yeah, we can, we can keep going with this. So you've you've taken me down a path which is really good. Thank you. And that is the structure that you guys are going to follow. You just said like two hours. So does that mean like at each, at any given time, there's always two rowers and two sleeping or how is that going to work? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, at any given time, there will be two rowers and then two resting, um, hopefully sleeping at least a good portion of that, especially the night shifts. But right. So we will have six, two hour shifts on the oars per person per day. And so you do that based on cabins. So the guys in the front cabin, they share one cabin, but one of them's in the cabin at a time, one of them's out rowing. Guys in the back cabin, they share a cabin, but hopefully they're not both in there at a time because it's 
it's really tight. If you get two guys in there, it's you can't even lay flat on your back. I mean, it's on you're laying on your side. How are you guys planning to protect yourselves? I mean, you got a lot of salt in the air. You're going to have a lot of sun. How are you going to protect yourself from from the elements? Because that's that could be draining all by itself. Right, and that's one of that's one of the big challenges is to protect yourself from the elements. Uh, I mean, we've got long sleeve rowing shirts and stuff with hoods, and we've got hats and sunglasses and all that. And you've got duplicates because even in our training, we saw that, you know, had a hat, had a cinch strap on it. It was cinched down and just the wind caught the wrong angle. My nephew, it is gone. And once it's off your boat, uh, you're not going back for it. They're not quick turn around. So it was gone. Uh, So we've got to keep, keep on that stuff, but we've got backups and backups. And the the goal is limit your sun, sun exposure when you get salt on your skin, hopefully wipe it off with something, you know, just a wet rag after each shift. But, you know, we've got sunscreen as well. Of course, that adds another element of stuff on your skin that you kind of want to protect you from sun, but don't want the rest of the time. So uh, I think at some level, it's just we're going to be a little bit, uh, a little bit dirty or uh, a lot of grody. dirty. You're going to be, be dirty the whole trip. That's right. Oh, oh my goodness. So what are you going to eat and how much food are you able to take on that boat? Yeah. So a lot of the weight of the boat, really, we bring more food than the boat weighs, to be honest. You know, so we bring a whole lot of dehydrated food packets. It's about 45% of our calories comes from backpacking meals, if you will. Uh, so we'll eat about four of those, the big packs a day, and then a whole lot of snacks. And it's really like, hey, what sort of snacks can we bring that you want to eat? So if that's Little Debbie's, all right, let's do it. If that's uh, almonds, okay, that's good too. So we're looking for calorie-dense food. Normally, people look around, what's got low calories? Literally, when I'm shopping for the stuff, it's what's got the highest calories per gram by that. The average will burn is around 8,000 calories per day. Okay. So that's a little more than we normally eat. So the idea is you can eat as much as you, much as you want of anything you want. Once you're out in the Atlantic... There's no turning back. You're not docking anywhere. You're just, you're going. This is really an odd question, but okay, what about the bathroom? Yeah, that's a good question. So it's a bucket. You know, uh, one good thing about being <laughs> brothers, pretty close to each other, but uh, there's no privacy on these things. So the bathroom is just a bucket on deck. You know, it sounds worse than it is. Uh, balance is the biggest problem. You get in heavy waves and heavy seas, balance is the problem. I think you can adjust to whatever you have in front of you, but it's certainly not something you're bringing a newspaper in with you too. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. So you're, you, you have to have some kind of navigation device. How, how, how's that going to work? Right. So we do have solar power. We've got a couple solar panels on the boat. We've got a backup for our navigation specifically. Um, but the boat is set up with uh, a navigation system, um, which obviously helps us a good bit. The solar, though, the main thing, the solar, what we need for the main power draw is for our water maker. So we have a desalinator on the boat because, you know, you can't carry that much. Well, you can carry food, but you can't carry the water we'll need. So we got to, you know, desalinate and that draws the most power of anything we have. But we do have, we do have our primary uh, GPS system and a chart plotter. And then we have a backup handheld system as well. So your water system, what, what's your source of water? Just the ocean. So it sucks, you know, salt water in, desalinates and so forth. And, you know, you got, that's one of your biggest, uh, that's one of the ways you can end your trip and have to call for help is if that system breaks down. Uh, now, thankfully, we've got backup parts, we got backup pumps, we got backup everything. We have a handheld system as well for that, should it be needed. 
And in emergencies, we also carry an additional 40 liters of, of, of fresh water that, that would last you, you know, for another four or five days in an emergency before you could get help. So we've got backups to backups to backups, but it, it doesn't make it easy. If your primary system goes down, everything gets a whole lot harder, a whole lot quicker. Have you guys ever done anything like this before as brothers? We haven't. You know, that's, I think, the most exciting thing is coming together as brothers, uh, spending time together, you know, the bond of brotherhood is 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 the number one goal of all of us. Yeah. Is to experience something together that we can then carry on for the rest of life. And I would say, you know, simultaneously trying to raise awareness, like I mentioned earlier, send relief to organization. Um, it's one that I've done projects with in Southeast Asia. My oldest brother Troy did projects with in Central Asia. I've also partnered with in the United States. So just a fantastic organization that that provides a whole host of disaster relief, but also um, community development projects all over the world. And all in the name of Christ, and it furthers the church and it furthers the work of, of the gospel around the world. How can people who are listening to this podcast all over the world support that mission and support you guys as you guys embark on this 3,000-mile journey? So the easiest way is, is, is join our, our social media. Um, there's, there's two accounts. There's a Facebook account and, uh, Instagram account. Both of them will be updated during our, our trip. Both of them will also have links where you can go and, and directly support, um, uh, send relief. And yeah, those two accounts, both of them are under our team name Four brothers. So it's F O A R four brothers. And if I believe if you start, just type in F O A R, it will pull up because I don't think anyone else has used that. And you'll get a chance then to follow not only our journey, our tracking, our journey, our progress, and so forth, but also uh, follow the links to uh, send relief. When you reach your ending point, will there be family there? Yes, they will be. So my wife and my four girls are planning to come down to Antigua to to uh, reach us as are uh, Tim's family and some other members of our extended family will 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 be there. So will you communicate with them that you're getting close, or how will they know when to come? We can. We will have satellite phones. Now, the connection's not fantastic in the middle of the ocean, but there are times we can talk, uh, although it's broken. It's not the greatest connection, but but we can text. So if we set up our communication systems and we have you know good solar and we have a relatively calm enough day, we can actually get the equipment out, uh, then we can actually send some text back and forth. Okay. So, Thomas, uh, let's finish this, this podcast with, I have two questions. So, um, when your when your three thousand mile journey has been completed, you reached your destination. Will you come back on the Cedar Hill Stories podcast and and share us what you experienced and how the Lord brought you through all your trials, tribulations, and joys? Yeah, absolutely. It'd be our pleasure to do that, or, or at least my. I can't commit everyone, but I can commit myself. Yeah, to coming back on and sharing a little bit about yeah about what we've learned, the journey. Well, I know I know our listeners will be really interested, and I pray I pray that our listeners actually do pray for you guys as you're out in that open water. Because it's um, it's a serious adventure. The waves could get really, really high. Twenty feet, I've, I've even heard. Please pray for the uh, Hamilton brothers and Ben Clark as well. When all is said and done, you reach Antigua. What do you hope you experience, and how do you hope your life and your lives are transformed even closer to Christ? Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, you know, that's something I, I don't think we had put as much thought into from the beginning. The beginning is more just, hey, this is an adventure. We get on it. So, so much has gone into training and logistics and everything else. Uh, but when we were out doing our training run, you know, and I'm rowing in the middle of the night, and you know, it's it's four in the morning, and you're rowing still. You you have time to think, 
right? And you have time to consider things. And so I think for us, uh, each of us has maybe a slightly different answer to that question. But for me, my goal is first and foremost to have learned how to consistently put others' needs in front of my own. So when I'm feeling self-focused because I'm hurting, you know, in this case, my hand's hurting, my, my, I'm tired of sitting for hours on an end, I'm physically tired, got salt sores, whatever. In that moment, will I, instead of snapping at someone else not doing what they're supposed to do, will I still operate under grace? Will I still operate with love and kindness? Will that fruit of the Spirit still indwell me? And obviously, as a parent of young children, uh, you get woken up in the middle of the night, and I'm probably a lot less gracious with my girls in the middle of the night than I am in the middle of the day. So learning how to control my own responses, which are ultimately self-focused, is probably my number one goal. Uh, but others would just be is a constant reminder of the greatness of, of God and His creation, the unpredictable nature of where we are and our absolute dependence on Him through it. I imagine that will come on a stormy day in the middle of the ocean when I'm a little bit terrified of what's around me. What a great opportunity to uh, be together and really worship him. So we, we pray that you have a safe journey and look forward to having you back on the podcast. And again, listeners, uh, be sure to pray for the Hamilton brothers as they embark on this journey. Thomas, thanks for joining me this week on the Cedarville Stories podcast. It was great to have you. I want to thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. You are encouraged to share, like, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.